And Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We are so glad to be with you this Sabbath and blessings, blessings to all of you in the chat. Greet one another in the chat. And if you're watching this later, make sure you drop a comment in, edify one another, and you can always meet with us during the week by going to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Remember, we do have the Feast of Sukkot, Tabernacles coming up here as the next feast where we're gathering together, and that should be up on the website in the next few weeks for you to register to come to Oregon. So do we have good sound and audio? Praise be. We are in Torah portion, Pincus, Pincus, or Phineas in the English, but the Hebrew word comes to us from two words, actually. It is Pinachash, Pinachash, which is where we got from a couple of Torah portions ago, the brass serpent, the brass serpent being a, a Nachash or a Seraph. So we have those two words, Pinachash, that gives us Pinkus in the Hebrew or Phineas in the English. So here's something for you to think about. Of course, we know in the book of John, Yochanan, that Yahushua talks about the serpent in the wilderness that would be lifted up. Look and live, look and live. And he referred back to this time in the Torah as a picture of what was about to happen to him. So the messianic implication today going into a Torah Pasha called Phineas or Pi-Nachash, those two words in the Hebrew, Pi-Nachash, having to do with something that is lifted up. But we also know in this Torah portion, there is going to be a piercing, is there not? So the messianic significance in this week's Torah Pasha is quite astounding and I hope that you guys are as blessed as I am to be able to be getting into this week's teaching. So turn with me to Bar Midbar, Numbers chapter 25, and the Torah Parsha begins in verse 10, but I'll back up a little bit um, to the opening of chapter 25. And I know so many of you out there are isolated, you're in various regions in America, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, even in the UK. We have people all over. And there is this temptation, there is this temptation where you feel so isolated and you think, well, well should I, maybe I should go back. You know, I try to share this message of Torah. Or I try to share the feasts and the festivals and the Sabbaths and how we are to live. And man, it's just like nobody seems to want to listen. You know, back in the day when I was congregating with all those hundreds or thousands of people in the church, well, maybe I should, maybe I should go back. Am I the only one that's ever felt like that? You see, this Torah portion admonishes us to stay the course, to don't compromise, because syncretism, brethren, syncretism 
is the mixing and the compromise of the true worship of Yahuwah, of the true Torah of Yahuwah, of his feasts and festivals, all that apart from the world, and maybe just to kind of mix it in a little bit with the Moabites, with the harlotry in Moab. Maybe, you know, a little bit of fertility worship. You know, I'll do it unto Yahuwah. That's called syncretism. It was birthed, of course, in the modern church at the Council of Nicaea in 325 of the Common Era, and it has progressed and progressed and progressed. And now we live in this lukewarm state of syncretism that's accepted by the majority who call themselves believers. But Yahuwah has called a specific people out at the end of the age to be a witness. All 12 tribes, those of you that are scattered abroad, do not give up. Stay the course and be the Phineas of your generation. That's what this Torah portion is about. It's an admonishment not to look back. Because Yahushua says to us, once we set our hand to the plow, though it may be difficult, and though we may get calloused and worn and worn down and tired, we do not get the right to look back anymore. We have to stay the course. And it's difficult because it's a narrow, arduous journey. And sometimes the temptation is to go to the big fellowship, to go to the big singing and songs. But guess what? You'd find yourself in the company of those called out in Amos chapter 5. And that is what Phineas admonishes us and warns us not to be tempted to go back into the land of syncretism. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. It is written, Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove. Now the Acacia Grove, of course, this was an area where they were worshipping the local fertility goddess. And of course, we know, we know that that Canaanite goddess was Ishtar, that of course has been morphed into Easter, the modern version that is brought about in the churches every April, and that is syncretized into the worship that is now customary in the West. But it's not the truth, because the children of Israel are called to keep the Passover. Syncretism is the blending in of all Roman pagan worship, Greco-Romanism, and lawlessness into the faith that was once delivered to the saints. But Phineas calls us out of it. Phineas's of this generation raise up. And we can see that they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. And the anger of Yahuwah was aroused against Israel. Then Yahuwah said to Moshe, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before Yahuwah out in the sun, that the fierce anger of Yahuwah may turn away from Israel. So Moshe said to the Shoftim, to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Verse 6, And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moshe. 
and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from amongst the congregation. So what's happened right now is that we have to see that mixing, introducing pagan gods, foreign worship practices into the holy days of Yahuwah, it makes you no longer distinct. It's the spirit of compromise. You see, the world is calling us to be a part of it. The world is attempting to compel us to perform to its ways of worship, to all that it loves. But Yahweh is compelling us to perform to his commandments through his son so that we can be distinctly different. And that's the battle of our age. Syncretism is all that caves to the new world order, all that caves to the globalists or those that would congregate at Moab. You see, what this is all about is holding to the instruction of Balaam. And Yahushua has a strong admonition in Revelation 2, specifically to the assembly at Pergamos, that they that hold to the teaching of Balaam that sacrificed at, of course, the acacia grove right here in Numbers chapter 25, that there would be a group of believers at the end of the age that had taken on syncretism. I believe that you see it in the modern church, and I believe Yahweh has called us out of it. But the modern religions of this world, they are teaching people to be opposed to the law to be opposed to the Sabbath, to be opposed to the feasts and the festivals, and to be opposed to the dietary instructions of Yahweh. They're saying, no, 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 that isn't for us anymore. That's done away with. Come on, let's meet and be like the nations. Be all things to all people, they say, which is a compromise and a twisting, as Peter says in the book of Peter, they twist the words of Paul. Because what they're doing is they've come under that ruach, that spirit of compromise and synchricity or syncretism. Really, this is saying don't be distinctive. Really, this is saying be like us. Come and worship just the way we are. But Yahweh calls us to be distinctly different because he is the Elohim of what? Distinctions. That's who he is. That's his nature. Elohim of distinctions. That's why everything in the Torah is distinct between Tamei, Tahor, unclean and clean, in the camp, outside of the camp. Can this be purified through fire and water or does it need to be destroyed? Because ultimately, we have to be distinct and set apart. And that's what this week's Torah portion is all about. But the culture says, the modern day church even says, don't be distinctive. Fit the culture 
assimilate, look like us. There is no Sabbath. Eat what we eat. Come to the church barbecue on Sunday and whatever is set before you, eat. And they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. It's grace, but no justice. Grace, but no justice. Israel had the teachings of Moses. They had it right here. But they messed it up. Well, churchmen have the teaching of Yahushua, but they've messed it up. So what happens is they've all come under the same spirit, and it's a spirit of syncretism. We cannot mix because this is what Balaam taught. He couldn't get Israel to curse themselves. But what he could do is he could get them to move themselves from a place of distinction into a place of assimilation. And by so doing, they would end up cursed. And brethren, this is what happened, has happened to many believers in the modern church. They started out being born again and sanctified, but then they go to the modern churches that teach them to assimilate. And the next thing you know, they're flying all of the modern flags of all different colors. They're protesting about this. And, and they believe that they should be like the culture and stand up for the things of the culture. But no, we are not to be like the culture. We are to be of a biblical culture. All things Hebrew, all things Israel. Look now in verse 7. Now, when Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and he took a javelin or a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So they were in the actual act on top of one another and both pierced through. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. You see, the trick, and I use that word deliberately, of Satan, is either to kill the bride of Messiah, Revelation chapter 12, or to prostitute her out so much so that she will disqualify herself from being the bride, to whore herself out and prostitute herself out with the nations that she would disqualify herself from being the bride of Mashiach. Torah, brethren, is the mikvah that cleanses us from the world. Yahushua's blood saves us from sin and destruction, but Torah is the mikvah that cleanses us from the customs and the, of the world. That's why we have to have the testimony of Yahushua, that's salvation, and the Torah. It says in Isaiah, to the Torah and to the testimony, and those who do not have that, then they are not of him. You see, Yahushua's blood is what saved us, but the Torah is what keeps us. Keeps us from going back into the world, brethren. Otherwise, the spirit of syncretism and compromise is huge. It's the temptation of our flesh each and every day. 
We have got to stick together, come together on the Sabbaths, and come together on the feasts and festivals. So this, to me, is a powerful, powerful Torah portion. Like I say, either kill the bride of Israel or prostitute her out so much so that even Messiah Yahusha wouldn't want her. That is the trick of the adversary, Satan. Yahusha's living Torah is the mikvah that prepares the bride for the end times. And if this Torah portion wasn't relevant to you and I today, then why would have Yahusha addressed it specifically in Revelation chapter 2 to the assembly at Pergamos? Because it is relevant. And it does relate to us today. Parsha Pincus is about being zealous for Yahuwah, on fire for Yahuwah, uncompromising in the faith that you have. Don't give up in the face of adversaries. Don't give up. Hold fast to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's really about how do we truly observe the Torah? Now, Phineas, Pincus, is the grandson of Aaron, the Kohen Haggadol. And the whole house of Israel, our strength lies in the blessings that are given by Yahweh for righteous living in a sick and twisted world. In Numbers chapter 20. Verse 20. I'll read that to you. Numbers chapter 23, verse 20. We see, of course, the second prophecy of Balaam, and it says, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot resist. Reverse it. Well, hang on a minute. How can he not reverse it? Because Yahweh has blessed you and I. But we can move ourselves out of the blessing by being conned by syncretism, by being conned by the world. And brethren, there's a massive con going on right now. And people, believers, Christians, good Christians, have been deceived into doing something and conned and moved them outside of blessing into cursing. That is what is happening in these last days. That is what is happening in these last days. Now, the two words that we see here for pinkus, p-nechash, we would have seen this in Parsha 39, which was entitled Chukat. We did this just a few weeks ago. So Nakash in the Hebrew is serpent or brass thing, or sometimes translated as seraph or seraphim. So Phineas or Pincus, like the Nakash, the serpent or brass thing, what happens here? Pincus, just like the serpent or the brass thing, bites Zimri, 
and bites Cosby with judgment. Remember the serpent? It bit those with judgment. Well, right here, the remez is that Phineas, like the serpent or brass thing in the wilderness that is lifted up, goes and bites Zimri and Cosby in the tent with judgment because they went into the tent and they lent their hands upon the wall, wall of Midian, taking on a sensual and perverted form of praise and worship. Baal Peor means the Lord of play or the Lord of a hiatus. Oh, let's all take a hiatus. You've heard people say that. Well, that is Baal Peor. Do you see how that's become syncretized and brought into our common language? Oh, I think I need a hiatus. Well, hang on a minute. Do you realize what you're saying? Now, if you were to turn to Amos chapter 5, verse 18, you'll see the outcome of people that fall into this temptation. That even their worship songs and Yahuwah will not tolerate it. This is the judgment that came upon the house of Israel that is spoken by the prophet Amos specifically in chapter 5 and verse 18. Phineas obeyed the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahuwah our Elohim. Yahuwah is one Elohim. And you shall love Yahuwah your Elohim with all of your heart. No compromise. With all of your soul. No compromise. And with everything in your being, all of your might. Even so, if you need to stand up and pierce judgment upon those that try to come into the assembly, and transgress the Torah, we can't stand for it. We have to hand them over to Satan. And that's exactly what we have to do. Phineas was blessed with honor for his zeal. He was blessed with honor for his zeal and faithfulness. Zeal and faithfulness brings forth honor in your life. Being lukewarm, mixing in with Mystery Babylon, going back to church, you know, kind of getting a loosey-goosey with the Sabbath and uh, kind of keeping it, but really not. And, you know, kind of keeping the feasts, but, you know, uh, when is it anyway? You know, does it really matter? Um, I used to kind of keep the feasts, but now, you know, what? There's like 50 different calendars, you know, it doesn't really matter. What happened to your zeal? What happened to my zeal? Hang on a minute. If we don't stand for the Sabbath and we don't stand for the fit, what do we stand for? And then we start moving back to the acacia groves. And that's exactly what I've seen over the years. And this will offend some of you, and I'm sorry, but I am so sick and tired of all the division over the calendar. It has been instrumental in moving people back into the spirit of compromise. People aren't even keeping the Sabbath and the feasts anymore because they're so confused and they're like, well, what does it matter? Sabbath's on Tuesday. Oh, no, it's on Wednesday. Oh, it moves this day and that day. So let's just not bother anymore. And that's what's happened. Much better to be wrong but righteous. At least keep the Sabbath on Saturday. Doesn't matter if you're wrong or right, just keep the Sabbath. 
from sundown to sundown. If it's wrong, then at least keep it. If it's right, then do something else, but at least keep it. But all of this willy-nilly, you're back at the acacia grove. And, and now, what's the witness to your children and your grandchildren? That's the problem. I've seen more damage done over this calendar debate. And I don't believe that I've got the calendar right. I don't. I believe that Yahoo is right and I'm wrong. But in the meantime, I'm at least going to do something. I'm at least going to take a stand and I'm going to be consistent in my observance of it. Because otherwise, brethren, I know that I'm going to get pulled back into the world. And I don't want that because I know that that is the temptation of syncretism, of not standing for something. If you're going to stand for the Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night, sundown to sundown, then stand. If you're going to stand from the Sabbath, from dawn to dawn, then stand. And then do it. And then have all your friends and, and, and celebrate it. But the problem is that people kind of give up. And it all becomes diluted because now it's all so confusing. Oh, well, you know. And that's the problem. So there's my off the hobby horse and back into the Parsha. But I had to say it because I've been affected by it. And many of the people that I care deeply about have been affected by it. I'm wrong. You're wrong. He's right. Let's just get in the word and get out of the world. That's what I'm saying. So the love of Yahuwah Elohim with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. That's what this is about. Phineas was blessed with honor because of his zeal and faithfulness. Phineas didn't draw his weapon from his own pride. He drew his weapon for Yahuwah's good and holy name. And that's what we should do. And our weapons are not weapons of this world. Our weapon is the sword of the word that pierces through the syncretism of this modern world. Phineas had a love for Yahuwah's holy name and he wanted to protect Yahuwah's set-apartness. People who lack understanding and fail to realize that the Torah, with all of its commandments, it's a gift from Yahuwah. It is His grace. It is His favor and kindness to us because it's what purifies us from mystery Babylon. It helps us to bring our whole being into the service of Yahuwah. Otherwise, we are divided. It helps us to bring our whole being into the service of Yahuwah. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, <clears throat> Israel, beware of those who compromise and mix in old religious behaviors with the Torah of Moses. They will move you and I out of the blessing from the obedience that we get from keeping the commandments into judgment if their obedience is to Balaam and it needs to be exposed. Those that are on the outskirts of the assembly, 
that try to move in with syncretism, they may teach that an idol is nothing, but you and I know that that's not true. And this is what Paul was dealing with with the Corinthians. In fact, there's a terrible translation in the King Jimmy. And it says, all things are lawful for me. And I believe it's in 1 Corinthians or everything. 1 Corinthians 11. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let me turn there, because this is one of those passages that is used terribly to get people to compromise and bring in that spirit of syncretism. And I think it's about time that I cleared that up. Um, can somebody tell me where that is? Is it 10 or 11? Huh? It's about the meat market. Put it up there in the chat where we can go into the meat market and anything that's set before us we can eat. Oh, here we go. Look, brethren. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul is dealing with our very Torah portion here with the Corinthians. And here's the terrible translation that causes the church to compromise. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. And just see if this makes sense to you in your Hebrew understanding with um, the, um, the sense that we have, not the nonsense that we used to have. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Does that make any Torah sense to you? That's asinine. All things aren't lawful. So, so are you saying that it's lawful to commit adultery, to steal, to be a whoremonger? To violate the Sabbath. All things are lawful for me. But not everything edifies. No, that is not the translation. You see, this was written in the Greek. And Greek does not contain grammar. And if you want to spend the time and you actually want to go through this particular text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, and you look at it just with the Strong's numbering, you can see that the translators put the grammar into the text. They inserted the grammar into the text. And it means now something totally different. If you remove the grammar, 1 Corinthians says this. And see if this makes more Torah sense to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things in Torah are for me, but not all things are helpful. All things in Torah are for me, but not all things edify. Does that make more sense? All things in Torah are for me, but not all are helpful. Abraham had several wives and concubines. It's in the Torah. It's for me, but it's not going to be very helpful for me, and it's certainly not going to be beneficial for my family. All things in Torah are for me, but not all things edify. Meaning, if you, I'm not going to keep the commandments for women. I'm not going to keep the commandments for Levites, because I'm not a woman and I'm not a Levite. And I know that may offend the culture, me saying I'm not a woman. 
but I'm not. And I believe that I can say that. But that's a bit of a, that's, you know, you really need to be like the culture, you know. And make no distinction between male and female. You see what I'm saying? Now let me give you a little bit more while I'm banging on about this, because this is very important. This is how the church has become syncretized. Makes a lot more sense, doesn't it, when you read it without the grammar that's been added by the translators. Now let's, 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 let's look at this, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 10. This is the King Jimmy with the grammar of the translated translators added in. Okay, think of this in light of Leviticus chapter 11. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. And of course, don't ask any questions for conscience sake. Well, that makes no sense. You mean in the Corinthian meat market where there was pigs and all kinds of abominable meats that was sacrificed to idols? Don't ask any questions because that's going to help your conscience. That makes no sense. How could that help? How could not asking any questions help my conscience? Just the plain sense of the text makes no sense. But if anyone says to you, um, hang on, hang on a minute. Where am I? Oh, now let me get bang down to verse 27 here. If any of those who don't, do not believe, unbelievers, invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat what? Ever is set before you, and of course, don't ask any questions for conscience sake. And that is the modern church. It's syncretism. It makes no sense in the light of the Torah. It makes no sense. Now, let's remove the grammar and see if this makes sense for you. Bear with me. Bear with me. Everything in a meat market being sold. Eat nothing. Ask questions for conscience sake. You see how they flipped it? You go to the eat, you go to the meat market, you pause. Don't eat anything. Ask questions about the meat in the market until your conscience is seared that it is safe to proceed. Now, every one of us is going to be a little bit more different. When I go out for dinner with my wife and we go to Mexican food, she'll even ask them about the sour cream because her conscience is very strict and she wants to know if there's gelatin in the sour cream. Okay? And I'm glad that her conscience is like that because I get to benefit. Now, some people might not even ask about the sour cream. They may just ask about whether there's pork in the burrito. But my wife's conscience is more strict. So don't eat anything until you've asked questions for your conscience sake. Then proceed. Now let's look a little bit more. If any of you who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, do not eat. Whatever's set before you, don't eat it immediately. 
You need to ask questions for your conscience sake and then you proceed. This makes so much sense in light of removing the grammar of the Greek. So there you have it. I kind of went off on a little tangent there, but that translation right there is terrible. If you want a really good translation of that, it's been corrected. It's in the Restoration True Name Edition Scriptures. It's been properly corrected. All the grammar has been taken out, and it's right there. You can read it just the way you're supposed to. So that's a good, good um, translation. In fact, um, not to toot my own horn, but I think back in 2009, I brought that up to the um, translator of the Restoration True Name Edition, um, and I, I know him personally, and he put that in the edition because I brought that up to him because this really bothered me when I was coming out of the church because it was telling me to go and compromise again. And I'm like, this can't make sense. So I studied that out, and um, thankfully the translator corrected the translation, I believe in the third edition. The first and second edition I don't think have that correction. But So anyway... If I did one good thing, then I think that was it. So praise Yahuwah for that. Let's get back into our Torah portion, brethren. You're still with me. Was it a good tangent? Tennessee Rambler says it was a good tangent. Well, thank you. I, I did uh, go on a, um, a little bit of a ramble. Let me take a pause here and greet some of you in the chat because I can see it here, which is pretty cool. Let's see. So I'm working on the, on the funny cam. All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, Carlos Guzman, Shabbat Shalom. This is why I avoid Mexican restaurants. I love Mexican food. I just ask a lot of questions for conscience sake. Of course, now that makes sense to you, doesn't it? Um, Chris De La Rosa, please tell me Greek yogurt is safe then. <laughs> Greek yogurt? Well, you know, just be careful. Just make sure that you... Uh, Ask questions for conscience sake. That gelatin always sticks around in things that you don't realize, like marshmallows. Children, when you're having a schmores, make sure you get kosher marshmallows, otherwise you will be jacked, right? Why are you laughing at me? Huh? My daughters are laughing at me. All right. Let's go back. Let's go back to our Torah Pasha. We are in Torah Pasha, Phineas. And I went off on a tangent in 1 Corinthians. But my point was not to mix and not to compromise the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And of course, those funky monks were all about syncretism because they were Catholic monks and it was born out of the Council of Nicaea and they were the translators. And you know the monks like to eat of the pork and they like to go to the meat markets and they like to eat whatever was set before them. And they didn't ask any questions because they didn't have a conscience that was in line with this, in line with the law of Moses. So there you have it. In fact, not only the admonition of our week's Torah portion appears to us in Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it also appears in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 that shows us that the way of Balaam is this, is to mix Moses's Torah with other men's teachings. It's like having one foot in the church and one foot in Israel. 
Well, what's that going to bring about? It's going to bring about judgment, brethren. We've got to be either all in for the Torah or get out. Either get in or get out. But we can't be dallying around in the middle. We've got to be serious about what we're doing here. We've got to be in. Now, what's interesting is in Revelation, it talks about the white stone of acquittal. Now, the white stone of acquittal appears not only in Revelation, not only in the Torah, but also in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 9. Let me turn there and um, mention that scripture to you. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 9. Of course, it's talking to Yehoshua, Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you. For they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the Netzer, the Netzer, as in Netzarim, as in Nazarene, as in the branch, because it's Messiah that grafts us in, Romans chapter 11. For behold, the stone, Moshiach, that I have laid before Yehoshua. Upon the stone are seven eyes. Well, what's that? That's Messiah Yehusha's perfect vision. Perfect vision. That's genuine faith. You know, correspond that with Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says Yahuwah Sevot. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Well, when did that happen? When Yahushua says, it is finished. The land, the people, we are cleansed and moved out of the spirit of compromise and synchronicity. In that day, says Yahuwah Savot, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree meaning all believers in that day will sit under Israel and drink of the new covenant cup. We live in such a day. We live in, in such a day. This stone of acquittal is the white stone of revelation. It appears right there in Zechariah chapter 3, specifically verse 9. It's a brightly illuminated stone, the stone of acquittal according to Hebrew law or Hebrew Torah. The Kohen Haggadol, the high priest, had stones engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. And he also had the Urim for lights and the Thumin for decisions, lights and decisions. These are used to determine what? For us in the future and in the days of Ezra in chapter 2, verse 59, they were used to determine your tribal lineage. Now, there's many people today that get into the Torah and they get into Israel and they say, oh, I'm of the tribe of Judah, I'm of the tribe of, of Dan, I'm the, and they do these genealogical tests. Well, Paul says to us, do not give heed to endless genealogies. And if you do any of those DNA tests, then they have your DNA. 
And you know what? That is, it's, that's pretty crazy to be putting your DNA out into the public today. In this day and age, I wouldn't be doing that. Paul admonishes us not to. It's not about genealogy. The only blood that matters is the blood of Mashiach. Not your blood, not my blood. Don't be generals of genealogy. Because ultimately, if you want to find out what tribe you're from, Yahushua will show you in the last days at the gathering of the saints. I believe it's in Revelation chapter 7. Because what's going to be used are the, of course, the brightly illuminated stone or the stone of acquittal. Urim and Thurmin, no, Yahweh will determine, not you, not I. And nobody gets to sneak past the white stone, meaning everything in our life will be exposed. Now, in Ezra chapter 10, specifically, through verse 1 through 13, this Torah portion comes into effect in the prophets. Because what was Ezra, what did, what did the prophets say to Israel? That they were to put away their foreign wives. When they came back from Babylon and they started rebuilding, he said, no. What went on in the Acacia Grove down in Numbers chapter 25, that is what, is what happened in Babylon. And you have to put away your foreign whores, Midianite or otherwise. Likewise today, in Mystery Babylon, we are surrounded by foreign whores and Midianites, Moabites, Jezebels, and the spirit of fornication. And it's real. And it's a real thing. And we have to help one another to be able to stay the course. Because otherwise... It could lead to our utter destruction. But Yahweh is just and faithful to forgive you and to forgive me. But we have got to remove ourselves from, of course, mystery Babylon. Because that is what draws us back into syncretism. Where it's like, oh, everything's okay. But it's not okay. Really, this Torah portion to me, it's about an admonishment to be distinctive, that we really are not supposed to fit the culture, that we cannot assimilate, that we do not want to look like the world, that we do need to keep the Sabbath. We do need to eat what is kosher, fit, and proper, that we must accept his grace, but we must accept his justice too, because grace without justice is lawlessness. And that's the teaching of syncretism in the church. Grace without justice. Zimri made a public speech. He high-handedly went against the teachings and instructions of Moses. And in the church, that was what really brought me out, was the boldness of the pastors to high-handedly go against the teachings of Moses. I just couldn't take it anymore because they were just high-handed. Oh, that's all. Just brushed it off. Oh, that's done away with. Oh, and like, like you were an idiot just to bring it up. Well, what happened to the Sabbath? Well, what, why do we do Christmas when Jeremiah tells us that, you know, is it Jeremiah chapter 8 or 10 where he tells us, you know, don't bring that stuff into your house? Why do we do all this? Well, surely didn't that come from the pagans? Why, why, why are we doing like Halloween? Where's that in the Bible? 
And then I start to ask these questions and I'm ostracized. Oh, the law of Moses has done away. I'm like, that's pretty bold to say that. Anyway, I'm thankful that I went through all of that. So now I can communicate it to those of you that have gone through it like me. But we have got to stick together because this is what Phineas Torah portion is all about. Phineas, he took action and he took action immediately. He took action without reference to others. He didn't look at, to see what Moses was doing. He didn't look to see what Aaron was doing. He knew that it was wrong and he took action without reference to others. You and I have to be so strong with our, in our faith that sometimes we may have to take action without reference to others because we know within ourselves an uncompromising spirit that Yahuwah is with us and we will take action without reference to others. We don't have to look to see and get permission. No, you are Yahuwah's, I am Yahuwah's, and I am willing to take action without reference to others because Yahuwah is my Elohim just as Yahuwah was Phineas's Elohim. Yahuwah wants us to protect the priesthood. Phineas protected the priesthood. We're under the order of Melchizedek and we need to protect that priesthood from being defiled. And by those coming in and trying to teach about Levitical hierarchy, no, we need to protect the, um, the Malchizedek priesthood from those inroads. We need to be in the Torah or out of the Torah. We need to be in the Torah, all of Torah, all the way. Phineas, in his zeal, he wasn't looking for revenge, and we sh shouldn't look for revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith Yahweh. We need to be zealous, but we do not look for revenge because we are looking for redemption. Phineas brought atonement for all of Israel, and because of that, he was able to restore them. He rose up, and he took personal responsibility for all of Israel. Now, Zimri, he was a Simeonite. Isn't that interesting? Now, Phineas, he was a Levite. In Genesis chapter 34, verse 25, we saw the raping of Dina, um, and that ha happened in Shechem, right? And it came to pass on the third day after circumcision, back then in the times of the sons of Israel, when the men were still sore, that we saw the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi. And what did they do? Well, Dina's brothers took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly, and they killed all the males. So what we have here is we've got a tribal trait of Levi and Simeon, two tribes of righteous indignation. Levi, of course, at the golden calf. Two, righteous indignation, rose up, and took action immediately. But the Ruach of Levi and Simeon is very, very different. And that is what we see in this week's Torah Parsha. You see, the spirit, the Ruach of Levi and Simeon is different. In Genesis, Levi and Simeon justified their actions in Shechem, regardless of their father's disapproval. But here, Levi, um, here, excuse me, Phineas, 
who is of the tribe of Levi, he operates in the good inclination. Whereas Levi and Simeon, back in the incident of Shechem, they were operating in their evil inclination. They didn't listen to their father's instruction. They didn't listen to Jacob's instruction. But here we see that redemption has come to the tribe of Levi. Now through the son Phineas, we see him operating in the good inclination and under the covering of Moses. Whereas Zimri, who was from Zim, um, Shimeon, operates in what? An evil inclination, just as in Shechem. And he raises up and acts regardless of Jacob's instruction back in Genesis. And he acts here regardless of Moses' instruction. The question is, will you and I operate in the spirit or will we operate under the lusts of the flesh? Because that's what's happening here. The messianic application here is astounding. In first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and I'll finish up here because you guys have been sticking with me impatient. I've got a timer I can see. I've been going 52 minutes. That's not too bad, is it? Are you still with me, brethren? Are you still with me? I think you're still with me. I'm going to keep on going. All right. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he has made him to be the sin sacrifice for us. Speaking of Messiah Yahushua, him who knew no sin, that we might be made the zadokah, the righteousness of Yahweh in him. Think about that. Messiah became sin for us. Zimri is a picture of this. Zimri takes a bride from the nations, full of sin, and when he is pierced, the judgment of Yahweh upon all of Israel is stopped. Messiah, the pierced one, takes away the wrath of Yahweh. Do you see the messianic significance right there? Do you see the parallelism? Then we have the second census of Israel. Why? Because Moses needs to know how many men of fighting age are left after the plague has struck. Moses is preparing for war and also any good shepherd must count his sheep after they have been ravaged by the wolves. And the wolves of syncretism and compromise are all about us today, brethren, trying to ravage the sheep. But we do know this, out of everything that happened, we know not only from Phineas and the tribes and earlier in the rebellion of Korah that there is redemption. Think about the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, there's such redemption there. The sons of Korah, of, of, uh, of course, are found between Psalm 42 and Psalms 84. Their father led the rebellion, but they got redemption, and the sons led temple worship. I mean, talk about redemption. That's full restoration. 
And that's available to us because of the work of Yahushua. You see, it's all about having faith in Yahuwah. And faith in Yahuwah is opposite to idolatry. It's op opposite to compromise. It's opposite to syncretism. Faith in Yahuwah is all about being set apart. Set apart in every appetite of our life. All of our appetites are to be set apart unto Yahuwah because these are the building blocks of the faith. These are the foundations of our faith, which is why in Acts chapter 15, it says that when we come together, these appetites need to be in line with the Torah. Read Acts chapter 15. The proper observance of our appetites directly impacts our faith and our holiness before Yahweh. So Phineas is an admonition not to go back to the church, not to compromise, and to be zealous for the Sabbath, the feasts and the festivals. And with all of these calendar debates, that causes syncretism. And I know the calendar is supposed to cause us to be more distinct, but all of the diversity over the calendar, I've seen that it caused syncretism, people drawing back and compromising because they just don't have that strictness anymore because it's all willy-nilly because you can choose whatever day and ca well then we're just like going backwards we're not moving forwards so all that to say this stay the course shore up the faith put in distinct boundaries of when you're going to observe how you're going to observe and make biblical customs for your families so that your children can witness it. Otherwise, where's the witness when it's all loosey-goosey? We've got to be strong. We've got to put in customs for our children and our grandchildren, biblical customs that they can see. Make family traditions that your children and grandchildren know you've set up as boundaries and parameters. That is what Phineas teaches me today. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, if you want me to grab you in the chat, then please redline me at TorahToTheTribes.com and Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. I will now move over onto the chat here. All right, let's see here. I've got to, I guess, refresh this screen. Give me a minute here. Nope, nope. All right. The Libby Tube, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Elohim. Powerful, powerful verse. And we've got female Phineas. And she says, at Kevin Nita, they gifted us a beautiful king. Oh, okay, now we're, we're talking fish. Fish and chips. Female Phineas. I love your, um, your username there, Baruch Hashem. Did you make that today? 
or were you all already before this week's Torah Pasha female Phineas zealous zealous for Yahweh Baruch Hashem Yahweh and Shabbat fellowship may our appetites be set apart physically and spiritually Baruch Hashem Yahweh and Crystal Rosa brings up a great point Moabites were even redeemed through Ruth I mean we have such a great merciful Elohim do we not Crystal Rosa redemption draws near for those who want it praise Yahweh Crystal Rosa do I like eating onions yes I do do you Oh, I see. Somebody is their user. Their username is Onion Breath. Two thumbs, two thumbs up. Stay the course. Yahuwah has set you on. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Well, I see that. Yeah, maybe they do like onions, huh? or have onions. All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Well, brethren, keep on reading the Torah parshas, studying the Torah parshas, week in, week out, and remember, you can always meet on Shabbat with all of your brethren at Shabbat Fellowship by going to Torah to the tribes.com forward slash connect. Hey, give us some thumbs up. Thumbs up if you like this teaching today. If you didn't, put some comments in the comments section underneath. And it really does help if you subscribe to the ministry channel because more people will see it in their feed. And we are all about in gathering the saints. Remember, we are coming together at the Feast of Tabernacles here in the fall, and you'll be able to come to Oregon and register and be a part of that fellowship on 114 acres, beautiful wilderness with some of the best fishing in the Pacific Northwest. We've got campsites, tent sites, RV sites, cabins, the galore, and there'll be teaching not only from me, but I believe we're going to have Libby from the Libby Tubes going to be up here teaching as well. And Brenda um, from Florida, Brenda Robinson is going to be up here. And I hope she's going to be teaching as well because she did a phenomenal job. Was it a Passover and Sukkot? Yeah. So um, Baruch Hashem Yahweh. I know that you guys enjoy listening to me teach, but it's also wonderful to have other people bring forth their insights and sensitivity to the scriptures. I know it's so refreshing for me to not um, have to listen to me all the time. I listen to myself in my own head all the time. It's nice to listen to somebody else. Blessings unto you all. Thank you for joining us this Sabbath and Yahweh be with you. Bless you and keep you. Shabbat Shalom until next week's Torah portion.